Well, good morning, everyone. Along with Tim, uh, I want to welcome you here. Uh, again, sad to not be able to see many of you in person, uh, but great to be able to still connect with you in your homes or wherever it is that uh, you are watching. Uh, obviously, this is not uh, what we hoped uh, would happen. Uh, it was great to be able to open our doors and to have uh, people here and to be able to gather in person. Uh, but uh, just as a word to us in this next season, we hope it's a short season of being all online again. Uh, but I want to echo the sentiments of uh, Pastor Jeff Bucknam. If you haven't seen his uh, kind of video address on this topic of these further restrictions, I think they're really helpful. Basically, uh, it was a call uh, to greater love and uh, grace with each other. Uh, we know that uh, part of the challenge of COVID is the, uh, the virus itself and all of the heartache it brings, all of the, the physical challenges, health challenges. But the other part is just being able to coexist with each other, especially when we have differences of opinion about whether these particular restrictions are good or bad or too far or not enough. And uh, his reminder was for us to be marked by love uh, for each other, for the community, uh, even when there's things that we uh, disagree about. So I'm going to pray for us as a church uh, that uh, God would continue to use us and bless us and help us uh, to indeed be marked by love. And then we're going to turn our attention to the Word of God. So pray with me if you would. Uh, Lord Jesus, uh, I'm thankful. Thankful, Lord Jesus, because um, you are still our God. You still reign uh, Lord Jesus, you are still at work. Uh, we're disappointed uh, that we can't see each other. Many of us have, have had the joy over these uh, last many months of just being still able to see each other. Uh, Lord, there's many who've been in isolation, and, and so God, now we're all in that sense uh, unable to meet. And yet, Lord Jesus, I pray that we would still remember all that you are doing and have done. I pray in particular, uh, God, that you would help us uh, in, in the differences that we might have uh, in terms of how we should respond to COVID, the seriousness of it, or the right, um, the right means of, of flattening the curve. God, I pray that uh, as Christians, uh, the things that people would, would see of us, the things that would mark us would indeed be love, would be grace, would be compassion for each other, uh, and also steadfastness. Help us, Lord Jesus, in the midst of all of these difficulties to be steadfast in faith, to be hopeful, to be thankful. And I pray right now even that you would encourage us in that way as we turn our attention back to your word and uh, to the big story that you were writing uh, in, um, in the story of humanity, in the redemptive story of history. So uh, we thank you, Lord Jesus, for who you are. I pray you'd speak to us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, well, as Tim said, uh, we are uh, now finally in our last sermon in this series. Uh, this has been a series, of course, looking at the end of this age. And um, I hope that if you've been with us the whole time, that you have, uh, you have grown in your understanding of and appreciation for uh, what's happened before, happening during, and then after the end of this age. I hope it's been helpful. And I thought to end our time, it would be most helpful to kind of take a step back and find some lessons that we can learn uh, having looked at the big picture. Because I don't know about you, but... Uh, in my life, I found that it's very possible to, uh, in a sense, learn something, but not actually learn it. Uh, like if you remember in school, or if you're still in school, um, there are times when we study cram like day and night for tests, and we actually do pretty well on the test. But then like the day after, or the week after, certainly someone asks us about whatever we studied, and we can't remember anything. You know, it just went in our brains long enough to get it on the paper, and then it's gone, and that's okay for some things. Uh, you know, we might say a lot of the courses that we take, we don't need to know those things for life. But there are certainly some things that we want to take with us. 
that we want to actually work into our, our daily lives. And the things of God are definitely those things. So that's our, that's our goal today, is to take a step back and say, okay, in light of everything that we see here, uh, in terms of the story that God is telling in, in humanity and the end of the age to come, uh, what lessons uh, can we learn and what lessons should we apply to our lives today? So before we get to the lessons, uh, I thought it'd be good to recap what we have seen in terms of the big story. And for that, uh, we're going to go back to our ever-popular plot diagram of human history. I know many of you have been asking for this again. And so here it is. Um, it's just like any novel study that you have done uh, in school. Uh, if you remember, we said that there's an introduction, that's Eden, the creation story, and then the conflict came into the world through sin. And then the rising action was really all through the Old Testament where God's people were dealing with sin within themselves, within the world, and looking for an ultimate answer. And finally, that answer came with the... The first climax, which was the coming of Jesus. Uh, Jesus entered into human history, lived the life we should have lived, and then went to the cross, and finally gave us the answer that uh, everyone was looking for, which was an atonement for sin, an answer for sin. And that was the, the great climax. In fact, many people thought that was the climax, but now we find ourselves in this waiting period, uh, this waiting period of, of trial and tribulation, and what we're really waiting for is that the second coming, for Jesus to return. So we looked at a lot in this series, and with the second coming of Christ uh, comes the consummation, the, the completion of all the things that he told us about when he came the first time. And uh, the finality that comes is that um, there's going to be a transition, a transition from this age, the age of the church, to the eternal age. And uh, we, we would call that, in terms of a plot diagram, like the resolution of the story. So I've added to our plot diagrams, you can see the resolution of the story. Usually, it ends very quickly and it's kind of done. But with this story, uh, what I've tried to show there graphically is that the new heaven and the new earth, things just keep getting better and better and better for all of eternity. The action continues to rise, the excitement, the joy... And so that is uh, the end, and as you can kind of see, there, there really isn't uh, an end. That's why we've called this the end of the beginning. This stage is just the beginning of human history for those who have faith in Jesus. Uh, in fact, our life is just getting started. So again, now I ask, what lessons should we learn from all of this? From having this clear in our minds and hopefully our hearts, uh, what lessons can we learn of course, there's lots of lessons we can learn, but we're going to pick out three, three main ones uh, that I think will be helpful and instructive. And here is lesson number one, which is simply this, uh, most things won't last. That's one of the lessons we should learn, that most things in our lives that we see right now won't last. Um, this is pretty obvious when we, uh, when we see clearly that there's going to be this transition, this renewal of the reality that we see now into the eternal heavenly reality to come. And in fact, we see this highlighted a few times in some of the verses we've looked at. Uh, we're going to look at Revelation 20 verse 11. And to look at the language here. This is John seeing the vision. He says, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it, that's Jesus, from his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. So it's a pretty dramatic um, scene that earth, the earth and sky, literally everything around us, flees from Jesus, and it gives the really distinct impression that, that everything is going to change. Uh, this is stated even a little more clearly in the next chapter. Here's Revelation 21, verse 1. Uh, John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. 
And if you combine that with verse five, uh, it says this, and he who was seated on the throne, again, that's Jesus, says, behold, I am making all things new. Uh, we talked a lot about that in the last few weeks, that Jesus is making all things new. So uh, the picture that we gave is, um, is of a home renovation. If you remember, we said that uh, all things being made new doesn't mean that the home is demolished and they build something else like a mini mall. Uh, what it means is that the home is completely redone. So it's, it's still a house, but, but everything in it is, is new and wonderful. Uh, the thing is, when we usually do a renovation, if you think about that process, uh, even if it's an extensive renovation, uh, usually we get a chance to remove everything from the home. Uh, you put away your, your furniture into storage, you take all your knickknacks off the shelf, you take your clothes, you put them in suitcases, you go and live somewhere else. Everything is, the house is empty, and then the contractor comes in and does the renovation. But if we take these words um, literally, which, which we should, then a better picture of what's going to happen in the transition from this age to the new age is like you've signed a contract uh, with a builder who's going to come and renovate your home, uh, but part of the contract is that uh, you don't know when this contractor is coming, and you can't take anything out of your house before they come and do the job. So you can imagine just kind of going about your life, you're, you're cooking dinner, and all of a sudden there's a knock at the door, and you open the door, and the contractor is there with his crew, and he says, okay, time to leave. And, and they're going to start, just they go and they start taking everything off the shelves, and there's a big dumpster out front, and they just keep dumping everything out. And you're like, but wait, that's my figurine, that's my, you know, my train set. That's, and, and everything that you, you know, are worried about, they have an answer for. So you say, well, look, I'm in the middle of cooking dinner. They say, don't, don't worry. By the time we're done, I mean, you're going to have a better recipe book. The food we're going to give you is better. You're going to be able to eat and eat, no calories, going to taste wonderful. It's going to be better. And you say, yeah, but what about my clothes? They say, man, when we're done, you're going to have a whole closet full of new clothes. It's going to fit perfectly. You're going to look slim in everything. It's going to feel great. It's going to be better. Everything that we would see being taken out and put in the dumpster, they would say that, don't worry, when we're done, it's going to be better. See, this is the hope of the Christian faith, that there is something far better beyond this life, better physically, better relationally, better spiritually. But this does mean that everything that we see around us is going to pass away. Now, the passing away is, um, is something we need to think about a little bit more. Like, what does it mean when it says that this earth will pass away, that, that the sky will flee? Well, essentially what it means is that these things will be destroyed and destroyed by fire, which seems uh, harsh. And that's why that image of like all of your stuff being put in a box and thrown in a dumpster, that's that kind of harshness where it just feels like, ah, that doesn't seem right. But we have to remember that the world that we live in is not a pristine world. It's tainted. It, it's, it's corrupted by sin. And that means that none of it can be carried into the new perfect reality of heaven. Uh, again, just to maybe help us grasp this, if, if you were going to get your home renovated and a contractor came in to do, a, to do an assessment and they said, look, we got we to get rid of everything, and, and you'd say, well, what, everything, what do you mean? He's like, yeah, we have, to, we have to take it right down to the studs. In fact, some parts of the wall, we have to take out these walls and put in new walls. You say, why? Why do you have to do such extensive renos? And they said, well, look, here's what we found. In your basement, I mean, there's tons of water there, and there's tons of mold. I mean, you might not realize it, but there's mold all up in the walls, that, that black mold. Also, we found asbestos throughout the whole house, and your pipes are lead. You've been poisoning yourself for the last 20 years, and the wiring's faulty. I mean, your house is going to burn down. If you heard that, you would probably understand why they would have to do such extensive renos. 
I mean, you may love your home. You may have like a, a sense of connection and familiarity with it, but you would see, man, this is not ultimately for my good. That's a, that's a picture of our world where everything has been corrupted and tainted by sin and none of it can be brought into the new perfect reality of heaven because then it would, it would ruin the, the perfectness of it. So most things will not be able to endure the, the holy uh, scrutiny of God. Just like the contractor with his objective you know, judgment can say, no, this isn't good. God comes and says, none of this is good. It has to be done away with. It needs to pass away and I'm going to rebuild something new. Now you notice though, uh, the, the lesson that I've said there is that most things won't last. And that's because there are some things in this world that will in fact endure. Uh, there's this great uh, passage in, uh, uh, in where Paul's speaking to the church in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians, and, um, and he's talking to them about the foundation that he has laid, which is the gospel of Jesus, and he's talking to them about how they can live their lives to build on that foundation. And what you're going to notice in this passage is that um, really the most important thing is the, the building materials that you use. So here's 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 11 to 15. Uh, he says, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So what we're seeing there is that everything in the end will go through a purifying fire. And there's lots of things in our lives, things that we're working on, that cannot uh, endure the flames. Um, they're, they're, they're called things that are wood, hay, or straw, things that are very combustible. And what Paul is talking about there are those things in our lives which are rooted in the world. So the stuff that, that we spend so much time working towards and hoping in and, and writing Christmas lists about, <clears throat> all of those things we have to understand are, are things that are very combustible. They're not going to make it through the purifying fire at the end. But the same thing can be said for uh, our careers, for our reputations, for our achievements. What Paul is saying is that all of those things seem very permanent very important. But there is a day coming when the fire of, of judgment and purification of the world will reveal those things for what they truly are, which is corrupt, uh, which, is, which is tainted, which is very, very combustible. And so God, because he loves us and because he wants for us to have a perfect and pure and holy reality, he does away with those things and he builds something new. If you think about it, you wouldn't take... Uh, like an old piece of moldy drywall and install it back into your new home. It, it would ruin it. And it's the same idea with the new heaven and the new earth. Jesus says, I'm making all things new. He, he's making it pristine and holy, uncorruptible. But you also notice there are some things uh, in this imagery that Paul gives uh, that can endure the fire. Uh, he uses the image of gold and silver and precious stones. They represent those things which are tied to Jesus himself. So faith in Christ, repentance of sins, living for the glory of God, uh, all the things connected to the eternal life that we've been given by the, by the Spirit of God through faith in Christ, all of those things are things that will endure. In fact, Jesus makes this distinction himself when he's speaking in Luke 21, 33. 
Uh, he says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So he's making a distinction there. And the reason why his words will not pass away is are the words of God. I mean, his words are the words that lead us to eternal life. His words are the ones that help us to repent of sin and, and to grab hold of that which will last forever. So we need, to, we need to recognize that there is a distinction that God has made in terms of our reality right now. And we, we need to have that same distinction and to be able to value things on, on that level. So most things won't last. And, um, and I want to ask a question kind of at the end of each, uh, each lesson to apply this for ourselves. So here's the question. Uh, the question is this, what materials are you working with in your life? If that's true, if there's a difference, big difference between certain things that will last and certain things that won't last, what, what building materials are you working with? Are you investing in? Because think about it this way, when Jesus returns, uh, one of two things is going to happen. Either all of your dreams will come true or all of your dreams will be shattered. And the difference, of course, is, is what you're dreaming about, what you're hoping in. If your heart is wrapped up in all the things of this world, then, then when the end comes, when heaven and earth passes, uh, this heaven and this earth passes away, you're going to be devastated. We're, we're going to be filled with, with bitterness and resentment. We're going to be like, God, why are you taking all these things away? I've been working so hard on all of this. But of course, it's all a matter of perspective. Uh, think of it like this. Uh, imagine that there's a group of kids in a neighborhood and um, someone in the neighborhood orders a bunch of appliances and there's all these cardboard boxes. If you're a kid and you find a bunch of cardboard boxes, that is a good day. It's like gold, right? You got these big giant boxes. So they drag them into the backyard. They spend all day building this giant fort. I mean, it's got drawbridges. It's got peepholes. It's got every, you know, you could, they love it. They've drawing all over it, duct tape everywhere. So imagine though that uh, the dad comes home and they say, dad, come on, look at our fort. It's fantastic. And he comes out and he says, wow, that is an epic fort. That's great, guys. They say, yeah, this is so good. And he says, um, but you know, you're gonna have to take it down. And they're like, what are you talking about? This is the best fort we've ever made. We're gonna live in here. I'm bringing, I've got half my room out here already, dad. We're gonna live in this fort. And he says, guys, it's, it's gonna rain tonight. Like it's all gonna be pulp by the morning. You, you have to bring it inside. See that, that's the difference of perspective that many of us has when we look at our lives and when God looks at our lives. He says, if you want to build something that lasts, you got to use something better than cardboard. And most of us, that's, that's what we're investing in. The truth of what Paul is saying, what the word of God says, is that there are things that will last. They're rooted in the gospel of Jesus. As we exercise our faith, as we repent of sin, as we share our faith and seek to grow the kingdom, all of those things are things that will last, that will endure that are worth investing in. This doesn't mean we have to, you know, sell our homes. It doesn't mean we have to quit our jobs. It doesn't mean we have to stop doing life. What it means is we should look for ways to root everything we do in the gospel, in the things that will last. I got one other question. I know this first point is long, but the other ones will be shorter, I promise. Because there's one more thing I thought of. If this is true then, what if the disappointments in life are not actually disappointments. Like what if the disappointments in life is actually God preparing us for the time when all of this will pass away? Because for the most part, we think to ourselves, look, if God loves us, if he's powerful, then he's going to give us an easy and prosperous life. But that only makes sense if this life is all there is. If there's something better to come, if all of this is passing away, then the most loving thing that God could do would be to constantly push us 
constantly prompt us to see that the things that we're trying to grab hold of are not going to last. In fact, we see this emphasis a bunch of times in the Bible. Here's one more verse before we move on. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 to 18 says this, for this light momentary affliction, like life right now, is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. You see what he's pushing us, how he's pushing us to look at the world around us. The things that we see, the things that seem so familiar and real, that they're, they're transient. The spiritual things, the things of God are the things that are going to last. We should have that clear in our mind when we think of the big picture of our lives and the big picture of humanity because most, th- most things won't last. Okay, that's the first lesson. Here's lesson number two. Lesson number two, time is short. Time is short. Um, I think our perspective on time, our perception of it rather, uh, we know can change. Like for some of us who are young, there's some young people in the room you can't see, those who are on the band, um, probably life seems like it's going very slow. I remember that when I was young, right? When is the, when's the next stage of my life going to happen? Uh, if we're doing something we enjoy, life seems to fly by. If we're doing something we don't enjoy, it seems to go really slow. If we're young, it seems to go slow. If we're old, we look back and say, man, where did the time go? I think it's interesting when we look at what the Bible says uh, about the passing of time. I mean, we would look back at when Jesus left this earth and we would think, man, it's been a long time since then. It's been like 2,000 years. He said he was going to come back. We've been waiting a long time. But when you look at what Jesus says about his second coming, he says over and over again, I am coming soon. In fact, five times in the book of Revelation, he said, I'm coming soon. I'm coming soon. I'm coming back. It's going to be soon. And so it's difficult to square that circle. How do we... How do we understand him to mean he's coming soon, but it's been 2,000 years? Well, part of the answer uh, is that, you know, relative to eternity, 2,000 years is actually not that long. If we're thinking about a billion years, 2,000 years, 3,000 years, that's relatively soon. Uh, Another, you know, reality is that God is outside of time. And so for him, everything is soon in, in a sense. But I think the more practical answer for the church that Jesus, um, wanted for us is he wanted for us to have a real sense of urgency about his return so that we'd be faithful into the end. In fact, if you look at those verses where Jesus talks about, he says, I'm coming soon, uh, most of them are paired with a, a command or an instruction about how to live. So here's a, here's a couple of them. Here's Revelation 3.11. Jesus says, I'm coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. So there you see the instructions. I'm coming soon, so here's what you need to do. Hold fast, be faithful. Here's Revelation 22, 7. And behold, I'm coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the word of the prophecy of this book. So tied in there with this sense of I'm coming soon, he's saying, make sure you're faithful. Make sure you do what I've told you to do. Make sure you adhere to my words. In addition to these kind of direct commands, uh, Jesus tells two parables about the end of this age. And both of them, really the main point is that we have to be ready, we have to be vigilant, we have to be faithful. Um, I'm going to look at both of them just really briefly. The first is the parable of the ten virgins. And uh, in this this scene, this is Matthew 25, uh, there, you know, the wedding group, the wedding guests, there's these these virgins are waiting for the bridegroom to come. They're all going to go to the wedding feast. 
there are 10 virgins who are waiting, uh, but they have to wait longer than they thought. And only five of them brought extra oil for their lamps. They're waiting at night. They have these lamp oils. And so the other five who run out of oil, they have to go to the marketplace uh, to buy some more oil. And uh, look what happens when they are gone. Here's Matthew 25, starting in verse 10. And while they were going to buy the oil, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. So the, the message there is pretty clear that we need to be ready of course, we don't know when Jesus is going to return. And in the meantime, we should be in a constant state of readiness. That's a mark of true faithfulness. That's a mark of, of actually being children of God is that we will be vigilant, we will be ready, we will be faithful until Jesus returns. There's another parable that has kind of a bit of a different take. Uh, this is the parable of the talents. Uh, here, Jesus uh, is, um, is figured as a master and he leaves and leaves a bunch of servants in charge of his affairs. And he gives different amounts of money to each servant. To one, he gives five talents. That's kind of what's called the money. Five talents, two talents, and one talent. And when the master returns, um, the first two, they've invested the money and they've got a return. So they give him even more money back. Here's the money you gave us and we're giving you even more back. But the one who was given one talent was nervous, was scared. Didn't want to mess up, so he took that, that amount of money and just buried it in the sand. And when the master came back, he just gave it back. He said, here's your money. I didn't lose it. And to look at the response. Here's Matthew 25, 26. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has 10 talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And again, the message is clear. The wicked servant had wasted his time, wasted the, the talent or resources that he had been given, and he was punished for it. Very clearly what we're seeing here is that the mark of faithfulness is not to be casual or lazy or fearful. In fact, if, if we are acting that way, even if we call ourselves children of God or Christians, really that's, there's no faith in that kind of life. What we should be called to is one of, one of actively uh, investing the things that God has given us that we are to make the best use of our time and the best use of the resources that Jesus has left us because he is coming back and his expectation is that we will invest it in the kingdom, that there will be a spiritual return of fruitfulness in our lives. Uh, we see this stated real clearly in Ephesians 5, uh, 15 uh, to 17. It says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So the will of the Lord is that we, would, that we would make good use of all that he's given us. And so here's my question to help us kind of apply this to our lives. Do you feel any sense of urgency about the things of God? Like right now, this day, just, or maybe in general in your life. Do you feel any sense of urgency about growing in your faith, uh, about sharing your faith? Are we using the time and resources that God has given us for the greatest good possible or 
Or really, are we kind of wasting a lot of opportunities and a lot of time? See, the challenge with this concept is that it's not one size fits all. You'll notice that the master gave uh, different amounts of money, different talents, right? Some five, some two. Some of us have been given this many resources, others this many. The point isn't that we compare with each other how we're living our lives. The point is that, is that when we come and stand before Jesus, will we have made the most of what he's given us? Like, think about it this way. If you knew Jesus was coming back next week, how would you spend your week? I mean, if you knew you had a bit more time left, before Jesus actually came back, what would you spend your time doing? I know for me, there'd be a lot of things that I would spend less time doing and other things I would spend more time doing. I mean, I think there'd be less, less downtime, less uh, hobby time, less screen time for sure. And probably a lot more prayer time, a lot more time in the word, a lot more uh, looking for opportunities to share my faith. Again, this isn't saying, I'm not saying we need to sell everything we need to stand on a street corner with a, a signboard saying the end is near. What it's saying is, is we can live lives of intentionality, of making the, the most of what God has given us, of, of bringing about the greatest good possible, and that means eternal good. Eternal good for us, eternal good for the people in our lives. And the great thing about this is that it's very easy to start this because it all starts with prayer. I mean, if you're feeling any sense of conviction that, you know what, I'm not sure that I'm actually making the best use of my time, I'd encourage you, it just begins with prayer. You can start now, you can start tomorrow morning. I mean, every day that begins this way, us waking up and us saying, Lord, um, Lord, would you help me to remember that um, I don't have much time? Lord, help me to remember that, um, that you were gonna give me opportunities today and I pray, Lord Jesus, that I would be aware of them that you would help me to see them and that I would have the courage to take advantage of them. Lord Jesus, help me to filter every possible thing I could do through the big picture of your second coming, of the fact that this world will pass away, that eternity is coming, and that there are people in my lives who don't yet know you. When we pray that way, when we're intentional about this, then the Lord will bring us opportunities and it, it may not be that we do anything drastic on that day, but it may be that there's a, there's a small thing or a medium-sized thing, a conversation, a phone call, a something that God is calling us, prompting us to, and instead of barreling by it, we make the most of our time because we realize that time is short. That's lesson number two. Third lesson, uh, what I would say is the most important lesson is this. Lesson number three what we find out from looking at the end of this age is that Jesus is king. Jesus is the king. Uh, this is the central image, really, for the whole book of Revelation. Jesus seated on the great white throne of judgment. When the end comes, what we see very clearly from reading the text of Scripture is that everyone in the world will finally and clearly see that Jesus is on the throne. They're going to realize, we're all going to realize that that there is no political leader on the throne of our lives. There is no cultural influencer or academic or even earthly monarch. That we are not on the throne of our lives. And in fact, the throne is not empty. There is a king who rules and reigns over our lives and the entire universe. He's always been there. He will always be there. And his name is Jesus. And we see this image in the book of Revelation a number of times. Here's two verses to remind us. Revelation 1 verse 5. Jesus Christ the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth. 
He's the ruler of all kings. Revelation 19, 16, when Jesus is coming back, it says on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. See, there is no doubt when we look at the, the big story of humanity, the biblical story that Jesus is the ultimate and everlasting King of heaven and earth. And that word everlasting is important. It helps us to understand that the scope of his kingship. Because... Um, there are leaders uh, on this earth that reign for a short amount of time. And what you'll notice about those leaders is that hardly anyone knows who they are. They're forgotten very, very quickly. For example, here's a, a, a test. I didn't tell you it'd be a test, but there's a test. There's a social studies test. I'm going to put two uh, images up on the screen and even give you their names. And just I want you to think if you know who these, who these guys are. So uh, we'll put them up there. You'll see this is uh, Sir Charles Tupper and John Turner. I'm curious whether anyone knows that these were actually prime ministers of Canada. Because I, I didn't until I looked up on Wikipedia. Uh, and the reason that we don't know that they were prime ministers of Canada is um, because they were only prime minister for like three months each. It was a very short amount of time. They came to power, I don't even remember why, and then there was an election, they lost, and that's it. They, they were of no consequence really to our country. However, uh, these next two uh, guys, I think we should recognize the first uh, is uh, Sir John A. Macdonald, and the second is uh, William Lyon Mackenzie King. And, uh, you know, Sir John A., we notice because he's on our money, uh, but even the name, Lyon Mackenzie King, we should notice, and the reason we, we remember them is because they were prime minister for almost two decades, each of them. So the longevity of their reign, they aren't kings, but of their leadership, means that they had a lasting impact on our country. And still to this day, even though they were, you know, years and years ago, we still remember who they were. Listen to how Jesus describes uh, the scope of his reign, the longevity of his reign. He says this in Revelation 21, verse six. He says, I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He's saying his rule is unbroken and unbreakable, which means that Jesus is the most consequential being in the entire universe. This is tough for us to appreciate because right now our world is very, very good at ignoring Jesus. I mean, many, many people go through their entire lives without even thinking of him, even those that maybe have been told about him. He seems completely inconsequential. Seems like he has no importance, and yet, and yet you cannot ignore a king forever. Especially a king who actually reigns, who actually has power, and especially a king like Jesus. Because Jesus, he's the most wonderful king he brings those things into our lives which we long for. We don't even realize we long for them. And yet as we look at the way we organized our society, we see that they're so important. And I'm speaking specifically of two things, two things we've seen in our study. And that is justice and mercy. Jesus is a king who brings ultimate justice and mercy into our lives for now and forever. I want to go back to Revelation chapter 21. And here we have both of these things described uh, kind of uh, in a very concise summary. Here's, here's starting in verse eight. Here we see the justice of Jesus. He said, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Now this is not just punishment of sin. This is justice against evil. This is the thing that we long for in our lives, that there will be a final answer to the evil in our world because we look around us and we know that we get so little justice. 
And yet with King Jesus, we get ultimate justice, perfect justice. When Jesus returns, all evil will be dealt with perfectly and finally. But thankfully, that's not the only thing he brings. Because if it were, all of us would be under the righteous judgment of God because of our sin. But the other thing he brings into our lives is mercy. And we see this in the preceding two verses, verses six and seven. Jesus says to the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. See, with King Jesus, there is abundant mercy and grace because he has welcomed us into his family because he has done everything necessary for us not to be condemned in our sin. But when we have faith in his death on the cross, we are then redeemed. We are, we are given, given life instead of death. At the cross, our king allowed himself to be crucified so that he could uphold the, the justice of God, but also so that he could offer us mercy. That's the kind of king King Jesus is. And so my question for us, in, in light of this grand, massive Magnificent truth is who is our king? Is Jesus our king? Or is there something else, someone else that we are allowing to rule and reign in our lives? And the secondary question, because look, there could be lots of things. I mean, if you look around us in our world, there are many, many other things that we can serve, many other things that people look to for, for hope and happiness and, and leadership and direction in their lives. But the, the underlying question is what kind of, what kind of a leader is that thing or is that person, what kind of a king are they? Do they actually bring satisfaction and joy and peace? It's not difficult to find examples of bad kings. Uh, this week I was helping uh, my son Ben with his uh, social studies homework. He's studying the French Revolution and um, that is an example of a very bad king. Uh, king Louis XVI and Marie Antoinette, they were one of the worst because uh, they, were, they were taxing their people to death. Literally, the French people had not enough money to buy food, and yet they were eating cakes and, and pastries and living in, in gold palaces. And there was such a, such a disconnect between their heart, which they, they're supposed to rule and reign, and yet they had no, no real heart for their people. In fact, the effect was that their people were more and more empty, and the king and queen were more and more full. It's easy to see that from looking at history. It's harder to see that, in fact, every other king, every other thing that we serve leaves us in that very same position. Empty, wanting, starving, dead. But see, Jesus, he's just the opposite. See, Jesus emptied himself so that we would be filled. Jesus killed himself so that we would have life. And his invitation to us is that when we submit to him, we are not taking on another burden of, of taxation or any expectation. Everything is lifted. And our lives are one that are filled with peace and joy and mercy. And we have the expectation of the kingdom of heaven where we will rule and reign with him. I want to leave you with the words of Jesus uh, from the book of Revelation. I'm just going to read it to you. It won't be on the screen. This is Revelation chapter three, verses 20 to 22. He's speaking to the, to the people of the world, in particular the church. He says this, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. 
He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Think about what Jesus is saying there. He's saying to the people of the world who've turned their back on him, to all of us who've sinned against him, ignored his rule and his reign, he's saying, I'm I'm at the door of your hearts. I'm at the door of your life. If you let me in, I will come and feast with you. You you will come and rule and reign. You will sit on my throne. The question that he asks is the question that should ring loudly in our hearts and our mind. Do we hear what the Spirit is saying? in light of the big picture of human history, in light of the fact that this age will come to an end and that the eternal age is coming, is Jesus our king? Have we accepted him for who he says he is? And do we have peace in him or are we trying to find peace in some other thing in a world that will pass away? So I'm gonna pray for us. I'm gonna pray that you do, in fact, that we each do have, in fact, have this peace and this joy from Christ. So join with me. Lord Jesus, we thank you for all that you reveal in scripture. Lord, some of it, as we've seen in this series, is is difficult to comprehend. Some of it is is not clear, frankly, Lord Jesus, in terms of how you're gonna make things happen. But what is so very clear is who you are as our savior and our Lord and our king. And Lord Jesus, I pray that you would help us, those of us who have faith, to live this life, to make the most of it, to recognize that much of of what is here won't last and that our time is short and that you've called us to make the most of what you've given us. Lord, I pray that would happen. I pray we would be a people and a church that seeks to be fruitful, to, to bring good, eternal good into the lives of people around us and that we would turn away from sin daily and seek to honor you and glorify you with our lives. And I pray too, Lord Jesus, for those that are watching, those that are listening, that don't have faith, that haven't yet opened up the doors of their lives, I pray, Holy Spirit, you would soften their hearts, that you would enliven their their minds, give them eyes to see the truth, that you are their king and you are a merciful and a just king. And you bring peace and hope and happiness, not just for this day, but forever. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for who you are. I pray your blessing on us in Jesus' name, amen.